Let's pray. God, we thank You so much. We praise You this morning for who You are and what You've done for us. We know from Your Word, and we know from just who You are, that You are good. Lord, I pray that this morning as we read Your Word together, that even as we talk about giving and tithing, I pray that it's, it's Your Word and Your truth, not my truth, not our truth on the subject. Lord, I pray that this morning we can just turn uh, to You. I pray that our hearts and our minds, we can just um, not be distracted, Lord, that we can focus on Your truth that You have for us in Your Word this morning. We thank You for loving us, and we thank You that You are a giving God. And it's in Your name we pray this in Jesus. Amen. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, as a little bit of a recap, as you can see from the screen, we're, we're on week four. And we're in this, this side series, and we're going to actually be finishing it next week. That'll be the last topic. But it stems from this question of what is your church all about? Right? As we've been sharing about our church, the excitement with revitalization, or maybe as you share the gospel, right? naturally in the conversation, someone might say, oh, do you go to church? Oh, where is it? What is your church all about? And the simple biblical answer, it's not rocket science, it's not a crazy answer, is the church should and should always be about Jesus Christ. We worship Him both individually, on our own, by ourselves alone, but also corporately, together as a body of believers in the local church, here at New Village Church. And if we're a church that's all about Jesus, a church that should be worshiping Him every week, the next question which we've been going through is what are ways that we worship Jesus? What does it mean to worship Him? So the first week, we looked at one aspect or, or element of worship, which is singing. We should be a singing church. That's why we sing worship music. The Bible is full of songs. We sh- and when we worship Jesus, we worship God, we elevate His name. We give Him the glory that's due to Him. right? And we, we make name, we lift up His name. And on that Sunday, we sang extra songs. I, I, I purposely shortened the sermon a little bit and we added some extra songs. That way, together, we could worship the Lord as one body, as one church, together. The second aspect, which we looked at last week, was praying. The same thing should be true. We should be a praying church. When we pray, it's communicating with God. It's lifting up a prayer of praise to the Lord. Sometimes requesting, asking for things, thanking Him. Prayer is an aspect of worship. And if you remember from last Sunday, we had a time of individual prayer, we had a time of corporate prayer, and we had a time of small group prayer. And that leads to this morning, week four. And the third aspect of of worship is giving. And I'm going to say something and we'll talk about it, we'll break it down later. We should be a giving church. And what we're going to do this morning is we're actually going to pass around the offering plate once or twice. I'm just kidding, making sure you're awake. Please keep your checkbooks closed. Don't think I want you to take them out again. It's not what we're talking about this morning. Just making sure we're awake here. Right, but this morning we're going to be looking at a topic in the Bible, what the Bible says about tithing and giving. Now I'm going to argue they're different. It's different. The Bible makes a distinction. Giving in both the Old and the New Testament. And as Christians, according to the Bible, giving is yet another way that we worship the Lord. 
Now, I want to give a little warning. I want to be up front. Right? I want to say this. When it comes to money, in general, people, unbelievers, believers, we get funny sometimes. Right? It, gets, it gets awkward or uncomfortable. Why? Jesus says in Matthew 6, He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So for some people, money might be a struggle. It might be an idol. For some. It doesn't say that the root of money, or the root of all evil is money. It says the root of all evil is the love of money. So money is not a bad thing. Don't hear me say that this morning. But what I'm going to say is where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. When it comes to talk about giving and tithing, sometimes we get a little uncomfortable. We're like, well, where is this going? What's he going to talk about? What, uh, I want to just put that aside and say this. This morning I want to see what God's Word says about it. Not my agenda, not what you think or what you were taught growing up or any traditions in your household, but what does God's Word say? I want to be careful as we handle these biblical truths this morning because some Christians, there are some ministers who have taken verses about giving in the Bible and they twist them. Right? They, 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 they twist them and they, and they disguise them and they, really, they make it all about themselves. Right? If there's something that's confusing this morning, something I say that doesn't make sense, that doesn't line up with God's Word, please point it out to me after the sermon so I can correct myself next week. If I misspeak, because sometimes I might read over a word, right, or I might think off of my notes for a second, if there's anything I say and I misspeak about this topic, please talk to me. Because at the end of the day, if I say something that disagrees with this, I'm wrong 100% of the time. So this morning, I want to actually invite you and encourage you. There are Bibles in front of you in the, in, the, in the pews. You have smartphones. You can look up these verses. As we go through some of these verses this morning, I want you to actually turn to them and to read them with me so that you know I'm not making this up. And we're going to unpack a couple of truths here this morning. Before we do that, I want to say and ask a question, and maybe you could take out a piece of paper or you could take out your smartphone, go to the notes section real quick. I want you to answer this question. Actually, write out your answer and put it in your pocket and save it for later. When I say the word tithe or tithing, what comes to mind? Actually, take 10 seconds and, and, and think. What comes to mind when I say the word tithe or tithing? It can be Bible verses. It can be what the, ter- the church has taught, what a church has taught, what pastors have taught. Take a few seconds. When I say the word tithe, what comes to mind? I feel like most people, not all, but most people have a wrong biblical understanding of tithing, of giving. And because of that, it creates confusion, and it's an unbiblical foundation. It sets up an unbiblical foundation for something that's biblical. So we're going to talk about this this morning. We'll work through it slowly. I'll be honest, we're going to look at a lot of Old Testament passages, because the first point we're going to see is understanding Old Testament tithing. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 18. Numbers chapter 18 is towards the beginning of the Bible. Numbers chapter 18. Now the word tithe, the actual literal definition is tenth. Some of you might have known that. Others are like, oh, maybe that's where we get this 10% notion that comes from tithing. It literally means tenth. You might have grown up or heard people say that you should tithe 10% of your income, right? And that's, that's where that specific number, that 10% comes from. It just wasn't made up, but rather tithing literally means 10th. But also throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the Mosaic Law, 
we see that there are specific laws that were given to the Israelites about giving God one-tenth or giving him a tithe. So Numbers chapter 18, we'll start at verse 21 and we'll read to the end. I want to set up and say that there are three different tithes when it comes to the Old Testament for an Israelite. The first one we're going to read about is called the Levitical tithe. It's a tithe for the Levite priests. So let's read together Numbers chapter 18, verse 21 to 32. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and among the people of Israel they have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Let me read that again. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution, as what, an act of worship to the Lord, they give their tithe to the Lord, but then we see the Lord now giving the Levites that for their inheritance. The, the next, next part of 24. Therefore, I have said of them, that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Verse 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. That was interesting. The Levites are actually commanded to tithe on the tithe they receive. Verse 27. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. So you shall also present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it you shall give to the Lord, you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the priest. Out of all the gifts to you, you shall present every contribution due to the Lord for from each its best part is to be dedicated. Therefore you shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as, as produce of the threshing floor and as produce of the winepress. And you may eat it in any place you and your households, for it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have contributed the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. So the first tithing that we come up and we see in this section here is the Levitical tithe. It's actually a, a payment or a tithe that's given to the Lord and then in turn it's given to the Levite priest for their service and their work in the tabernacle on behalf of the people of Israel. Why? Because they have no inheritance. They have no land. The tithe was a way for them to get taken care of, or be taken care of. And they were taken care of by God through the people, right? by God through the Israelites. If you want to turn a few pages previously in Leviticus chapter 27, the next question might be, well, what are tithes? Right? We just found out that there were, the Israelites were supposed to tithe one-tenth. They're supposed to do that, but what are tithes? In Leviticus 27 verse 30, we read what tithes are. Leviticus 27, verse 30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. 
And every tithe of the herds and flocks and every tenth animal of all that pass under the shepherd's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. For if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy, and it shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. So what are these tithes for the Israelites? The seed of the land, the fruit of their trees, their, their herds or their flocks, right? every ten is counted, and the tenth one is, is what? Counted as holy to the Lord. There's an ancient Jewish quote that says this, everything that is eaten, everything that is watched over, everything that grows out of the earth must be tithed. And that's what was true for the Israelites. This first, first tithe we read about in the Mosaic Laws for the Levites, for the priests, the workers in the tabernacle, it goes to them to provide for them, to bless them for their work, to feed them, to take care of them since they're working for the Lord and they have no inheritance. Now on top of that, there's also something called a festival tithe. So if you can turn to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 12, we're going to read yet another tithe, another thing on top of the Levitical tithe that the Israelites have to do. It's commanded in their law. Deuteronomy chapter 12. In Deuteronomy 12, we'll start at verse 4. Deuteronomy 12, verse 4. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Right? And I started there because chapter tw- the beginning of chapter 12 and even in 11, it talks about ways that they shouldn't be worshiping. And now he's going to set up the way you should worship the Lord in verse 5. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd of all your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, and all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Let me pause right there. These tithes, these sacrifices were to be brought to the destination that was chosen by God as the place of worship and the people were supposed to bring their tithes and consume them there. So it's not money, but rather what? Vegetation, crops, animals. They bring their tithes to these festivals or to these these gatherings that the Lord commands them to bring their tithes to. If we jump down to now verse 11, it says this. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you. Again, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contributions that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding of you. So on top of that, right, on top of the Levitical tithe, they're told to go to a place that God will ordain to worship him, bring their extra tithe there, and they consume them there. In Deuteronomy, flip one more page. In Deuteronomy 14, in verse 22, we'll start reading 
more about these tithes. And I know I'm reading a lot of verses, and I promise it's for you to know I'm not making this up. It's in God's Word. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money, bind up the money in your hand, go to the place that, you're, that the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household, and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So what do we read in this truth? Right, As they're supposed to go to the place that God commands, if there's too much for them to carry, if there's too much things for them, they can redeem their tithe, bring money. When they get to the place, actually go spend their money there on what they desire, and that's their tithe, and they consume it. So in this instance of tithing, it's not about the money, but rather it's bringing your tithe before the Lord and consuming it there. And it also, again, interesting, do not neglect the Levite. So even in this, they're to care for the Levite. In addition to the Levitical tithe, they're commanded again to tithe this specific way to worship God. Not only that, the third tithe, right? So that's, that's a lot so far. Every three years, it was called the year of tithing, or the poor tithes. In Deuteronomy 14, if we keep reading at verse 28, every third year, there's now something new about tithing. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So every third year, and when they're going to the the place that God's commanded, these festival tithes, they don't consume their tithe. That third year is devoted to what? The widows, the fatherless, the Levites, the sojourners, the poor people as a way to provide for them. So here are some truths about what we read and what we talked about. These are truths according to God's word in the Old Testament about tithing. In the end, an Israelite would not just give 10%. It's actually closer to 23 or 28% of everything they own. Tithing was a command by God. It was a requirement by God. It was law. The Israelite did not have an option or a choice. And we know that God took tithing very seriously. In Malachi chapter 3, it's the last book in the Old Testament before the New Testament, the prophet's calling up the corruption in the temple, the corruption of the worship of God. And he's really revealing it's the heart's behind their offerings. It's the heart of everything. But not only that, the temple, the priests, the people who are supposed to lead the example, they're actually taking advantage of the people. They're neglecting the poor. They're taking advantage of them. And in Malachi 3, verse 8 to 10, through the prophet Malachi, this is what we read. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? 
listen to this, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe, the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Again, tithing, God took it serious. It was a law. Tithing was rarely money. Again, it was everything that was eaten, that was watched over, that grew out of the earth was to be tithed to the Lord. Tithing was the way for an Israelite, for the nation to worship God, according to Old Testament principles of tithing. Now, letter B in your notes, we get to something that's a little different. On top of tithing, there's something called free will offerings. We read it in one of the verses that we talked about. On the flip side, these were not commanded by God in his law that you had to give a free will offering, but rather, as the name entails, it's of your free will. It's your choice. In Exodus 35, we see that the Israelites, they give a spontaneous gift to the Lord. The Lord stirred up their hearts, and and because of that, they were thankful and they wanted to worship Him, so they they went and they gave a spontaneous offering, a free will sacrifice to God. In Leviticus 22, it's a voluntary choice. Now, free will offerings had to be given, or they had the procedure to how to offer them. There were laws to how to do that. You couldn't just do it in the back of your your tent or something like that. There were laws that God put in place for how to do it, but overall they weren't required. It wasn't a law requirement. It wasn't used to gain any sort of favor with God. It wasn't used to, to atone for sin or guilt. They were given to God as the people's hearts were moved by Him to worship Him and to give thanks to Him. Now that's Old Testament. That's understanding tithing and giving through the lens of God's words in the Old Testament. I know it was a lot. It might have been information overload, but I hope you got some principles and understand where maybe this 10% number comes from and understand that it's a law that's given to the Israelites in the Old Testament by God. Now, number two, understanding New Testament tithing. Tithing, the actual word tithing, is only mentioned four times throughout the New Testament. I thought that was interesting. In your notes, you have the four times it's mentioned. In Matthew 23 and in Luke 11, it's the same account of what Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about. It's that woe to you section as Jesus calls out the hypocritical Pharisees for how they're acting. He calls them out in their hypocritical hearts. In a, in a, in a, in a nutshell, or I'm going to paraphrase here, Jesus calls them out for giving their tithes but neglecting mercy and the poor. So again, there he's pointing out it's their heart issue. In Luke 18, Jesus gives a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in that parable, it's a contrast of the two attitudes of the Pharisee, who is boastful, who who loves his own ego, who loves the praise of others to be seen. Then you have the tax collector who is humble. And the point of that parable is not about tithing. Tithing is mentioned because the Pharisee boasts and says, I tithe everything that I'm supposed to do, and I fast twice a week. But rather, the point of that is that God desires a humble heartfelt worship, a spirit of humility while worshiping him. And then in Hebrews 7, the last instance of tithing, that actual word tithing, it's a retelling of Abraham in Genesis 14 when he tithes a tenth of his war spoils to the high priest Melchizedek. It's actually was shocking to me how little tithing, that, that literal word tithing is mentioned throughout the New Testament. And from my studying, through praying, through researching, here's why. Tithing was a command by God under the Mosaic law 
to the ancient Israelites under the Old Covenant. As Christians, if we are in Christ, if we put our faith in Jesus, we're not under the law. We're not under the Mosaic law. We're not under the Old Covenant, rather the New Covenant, which is what? Grace. Grace. We are under grace. Now, Christians, here are the air quotes, Christians who justify or try to make it a requirement to tithe, whether it's a false pastor or someone pressuring you, what they're doing is they're using Old Testament, Old Covenant principles, but they're in dangerous territory. Why? Because we're under the covenant of grace, but they're dipping back into the law here or there for some things that will fulfill their desires. In the New Testament, in in the early churches, false teachers were doing this. They were coming into the early churches, and specifically the church in Galatia. If you want to turn to the book of Galatians, Paul sets up in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, these Christians in this early church, these, her- these heretics were coming in, these Judaizers. They were saying to the people, in order to be a Christian, in order to be really be a Christ follower, you had to follow circumcision. You had to follow the Old Testament Jewish laws, which means if you really want to be a Christian, first you've got to convert to be a Jew, then you can follow Jesus. And what Paul does is he uses the whole letter of Galatians to call out that heretical thinking, the danger of using and dipping back into the law to justify anything because we're under grace. Now in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 16, I'll read this verse together. Listen to what Paul says about relying, what happens when you rely on the law rather than the grace of Jesus. In Galatians 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What does he say? If you want to follow the law, if you think that's the way that God's going to be pleased with you, that you'll be justified, that when God sees you, he'll see you as his son or daughter because you think you're obedient of the law, Paul says the law does not justify. The law cannot redeem you. Following the law is not how it's done. It says what? Through the grace and, or through the faith in Jesus. He says the works of the law will justify no one. A little later in chapter 3, Galatians 3 verse 10, it says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on the tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. What does Paul say? When you rely on your righteousness according to the works of the law, you put yourself under a curse, a damning curse. Christ has redeemed us from that curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What does that mean? His death on the cross. Justification, being right, made right in God's eyes, being accounted to as righteous, is not done by following the law. It's not done by being the best person you can be, the best version of yourself. But rather it's done through faith in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's 
argument. He attacks those who are dipping back into the Old Covenant, dipping back into the law to try to justify selfishly or justify taking advantage of people, but also spreading a false gospel. Further, in Galatians 4 and 5, I won't read it, but Paul constantly contrasts freedom, this idea of freedom that we have in Christ versus the law, that the law brings slavery. That the law puts you back into slavery. So here's the big question. As a Christian, someone who has faith in Jesus Christ, someone who's been born again, are we required to tithe? Are we required to tithe? Is it a mandatory direct command from God? I think according to what Paul says here, no. It's not a requirement. Does our salvation hinge on tithing to the Lord? No. But please, don't check out. Don't just check out and say, all right, that was good. I guess I'll, you know, I never have to do anything again. I'll just show up. Please don't do that. There's more. Because now we're going to be talking about giving. Just like the Old Testament, you have what? Tithing, giving. New Testament, tithing. Only spoken about four times. We're in the New Covenant. But what is the Bible Specifically, Jesus, what does he say about giving? What does Paul say about giving? What does the New Testament epistle writer say about giving? A lot. I wanted to list them all out, but I didn't want the sermon to be two hours long. It says a lot about giving. Here are some truths, just simple truths that we learn from Jesus. Some truths from Jesus about giving. We are to give sacrificially in faith. In Mark chapter 12, there's four verses that Jesus talks about the widow's offering, if you remember that story. And with that, it's what? She's blessed. She honors the Lord with her sacrificial giving in faith. We are to give humbly. In Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, give in secret. He also says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So as we give, we shouldn't be like this. Hey, can everybody see how much I'm writing? How many zeros I'm putting here? Or, hey, look at me. Look how much work. Oh, I painted this whole sanctuary. Yeah, look how good. We're not to be seen. We're not to be what? Boastful when we give. We give humbly. How about this? In Luke 14, Jesus, don't give with an expectation of payback. Ooh, that's that's a hard one, right? Don't give and expect to get something given back to you by that person. Now, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, if you want to turn there, we're going to focus on this section in the last part of the sermon here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, there are so many biblical truths and principles that Paul sets up with giving in the context of the local church or the body of believers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first five verses, Paul echoes Jesus by saying to give sacrificially. But not only that, we are to give generously. In, chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, he says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Jesus was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. If you missed it, that's the Gospel. If you missed it, What does that mean? Jesus Christ left His throne in heaven. To what? The one who created time, the one who created all, enters into time, enters into creation as fully God yet fully man to dwell amongst us. He humbles Himself to the point of death. 
Jesus emptied himself to give to us. As I mentioned before, we have a God who loves to give. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave. We also know, well, what does he give us? Eternal life, salvation. And as Christians, we cling to that promise that all who believe in the name of Jesus, our faith in Jesus, then we will be saved. Not our good works, not about how much money we donate or tithe or the service that we give to people or things. It's not about that. It's faith in Christ that saves. Not only that, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we should desire to be more like Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul sets up this idea of humility, of humbly serving others before yourself. But why do we do that? Because Jesus did that. As Jesus empties himself and gives to others, it might be worth asking us ourselves this question, how can I empty myself and give to others? That's a biblical question to ask yourself. Why? Because I, I love this verse in the Gospels. I, I believe it's Luke. It says, a disciple, when he's fully trained, will be like his master. If Jesus is our master and we're his disciples, we are to become more and more and more like him. Love like he loved. Give like as he commanded and has given to us. Forgive as he forgave. Going back to what Paul says, right? Different principles of giving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we are to give willingly, not under compulsion or guilt. Let me say that again. Willingly, not under guilt, not under distress, not under compulsion. I know some of us have seen those, those Sarah McLaughlin commercials in the arms of an angel when the dogs and, the, and all the dogs are there and it, it kind of stirs your heart and makes you emotional. Like, I want to adopt all those dogs. A second ago, I wasn't even thinking about dogs, but now I want all of them. Right, that's a little bit of a manipulation there. It's a very sad song. However, we're not to give that way. We're not to give with being manipulated. We're not to manipulate people to give. It's a willing gift. Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians again, 9, verse 5 to 7. We are to give cheerfully, joyfully. Right, if, if you're giving and you're doing with a poor heart, a poor attitude, as we've been looking at all the other elements of worship, the same when it comes to singing and praying, if your heart is not there, if your heart is not in the right spot, not joyful, not cheerful, I would argue that God takes no delight in that. So when we give, it's interesting, when Jesus talks about giving, he says when you give, not if you give. I just thought that was interesting to read the, the, the language that, and the, 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 the verb usages that Jesus uses. When we give, with the right attitude, in faith, being led by the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us that we can expect God to bless us. Now, we're going to read, if you can turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Keith read it for a scripture reading, but I want to read it again. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll start at verse 6. I want to read these together, go through it together, just briefly, because these verses are the ones that these prosperity false preachers who are evil, what they do is they twist them and they say, see, if you want to be blessed by God, you've got to give to the church. You've got to give to me. And I want to be careful and see what does Paul say about that. And I'm going to say something. It doesn't say that. And we'll work, we'll work through it together. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Let me pause there. That's another attribute of giving. It's between you and the Lord. 
The pastor, the elders, other church members should not be dictating how much you should be giving, whether it's monetary, whether it's any acts of service. There's no, that's between you and the Lord. Not reluctant or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 9. As it is written, He has distributed freely and has given to you the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And I love this, verse 15. How does he wrap this up? By focusing back on God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Again, these verses have been used to justify these celebrity pastors, or should I say false teachers, into coercing or making people give to their church that they can get wealthier. You might have heard phrases like this maybe on the radio or TV. God will bless you and give you that promotion if you just give in a little more faith. You can get out of debt if you just dig a little bit deeper in your pockets. God will bless you for your giving. Right, these false shepherds that are seen in $10,000 suits and $5,000 sneakers with golden jewelry, rings, necklaces, bracelets, everything, with private jets, with mansions, they love the verses we just read because they use it and they manipulate it, they twist it for what? Their own gain. Again, 2 Corinthians 9.10, let's slowly read this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The problem is, there's a verse 11 after that. What does verse 11 say? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Here's the biblical understanding of giving and understanding what Paul's saying. As we give generously from our own decision, as the Lord and, and you and the Lord in your own heart has to, have decided, as you give generously, God will bless you generously. Why? So that you can give even more generously. It's this cycle. It's not hoarding up these, these gifts from God in your bank account or in your house or in your closet, in your whatever. It's what? You give so that God blesses. Why? So you can give even more generously. But not only that, what will it produce? Not glory for yourself, but what? Thanksgiving to God. I'll say this, as we give generously and are blessed and then give generously all the more, God is worshipped. God is blessed. There's a thankfulness given to God. A lot of times these false pastors will say this, Give and you'll be blessed. But they missed the last part. Give and you'll be blessed so you can give all the more. So that why? God gets worshipped. So that God gets praised. 
the gospel gets spread. And as I mentioned before, Paul ends this section by giving the attention, the glory, everything back to the Lord in verse 15. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. God's a giving God. What did He give us? Salvation, forgiveness, mercy, reconciliation, a new heart, the Holy Spirit within. And, and here's my conclusion. For, from everything that I've been researching, studying, praying, and, and just reading this week, based on the New Testament passages that we read and how Jesus, Paul, viewed giving, Christians should be known for being generous givers. I'll say it again. Christians should be known for being generous givers. Giving is not mandatory. It's not forceful. It's not a command. It's not the law. But rather, giving comes from the heart. It's a freely heartfelt act of worship to God. Our attitude is key when it comes to giving. Again, like when it comes to singing His name or praying to Him, our attitude is key. We shouldn't give by getting our calculator, crunching the numbers. Okay, oh, 10%. We shouldn't be giving with this mindset of any sort of certain percentage, but rather how? Being led by the Spirit. Being convicted in your heart what is due for God. Or really, what God is looking for is a cheerful giver. The attitude of joy. So again, are we required... According to the New Testament, under the, great, the new covenant of grace, are we required by the law to tithe? Legally speaking, no, because that was for a specific group of people, the ancient Israelites, right, in a specific region, Israel, and they had to do it a certain way. But under grace, the new covenant, it seems that giving and being a follower of Jesus goes hand in hand. Not if you, but when you give. And again, when we give... As Christians, we're providing for those in need. We're taking care of the poor, the weak. James 1.26, religion that is pure and undefiled before the Lord is what? I'm going to butcher it a little bit. Taking care of widows and orphans in their affliction. Right? Looking out for the poor. When we give, we're supporting the work of the gospel through the local church or local ministries that are outside the church. When we give, we're expressing our love for God and our love for our neighbor. When we give, we're relying on God and His promise to provide for us. Which again, quick little plug, this Wednesday, God provides. When we give, we're sharing what we have with those in need. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love not abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. If there's someone that I see struggling and I have the means to help them, and if I just say, bless your heart, I'll pray for you. Right? I should do that as the minimum, but what? If I have the means to help them, it should go further than just talk. Help our brother and sisters in need. And I want to say this too. Giving does not simply just mean money. It doesn't. Giving can mean giving your time. Volunteering your time. You can give with your talents. If you're an expert painter, hey, talk to me because I want to paint some walls here. I, I love painting. I'm not good at it. right? Or if God's given you this amazing gift, use it. Use it at the church. Use your talents for the Lord. You can give your wisdom or your knowledge. Find someone to disciple. Take them under your wing. Teach them the gospel. You can give 
by serving. And we're going to end this series by next week talking about serving. And I'm going to have a guest preacher come in and talk about, as a church, we should be a serving church. Something silly that I do, and it's a little, I'm a little afraid whenever I do it. I leave the ending of my sermon blank. Because I, I, of this reason, how does God want me to end it? If I'm being led by his spirit, right? What, as I'm looking out and you're looking at me, right, what is one thing that I want as the takeaway, as a conclusion, as we, as we end uh, talking about giving and tithing? I think communion is key. Communion is important. When we celebrate, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a body of believers. When we do that, we're reminded of what Jesus gave for us. He gave his life, his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out. I truly think the more we remember how much we've been given by God, James says every good gift comes from above. Right? If we come with the mindset of God deserves it all, not a tenth, but God deserves 10 out of 10, 100%. When we come to that humble conclusion, giving is not going to be reluctant. Giving is not going to be crunching the numbers. There's not going to be guilt with giving, but rather it's going to be a delight. Why? Because God gave us the world, his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So as we celebrate communion, as we sing these next songs together, I want you to think and focus on what God has given to us all. We worship a giving God, and in turn, we should be giving it back to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read it and know the promises that we read will be fulfilled, that are fulfilled, that you are faithful to your word. We praise you that you are a giving God. As we said, every good gift that we have comes from above. Lord, I pray that even if we don't think we have anything to be thankful for, we do. Lord, I pray that we can have a humble heart and a humble spirit when it comes to this idea or this biblical principle of giving. I pray that our church is known for being a generously giving church. Lord, I pray that we never make money or giving or anything like that an idol. I pray that by the way that we give to each other and give to you, that you'll be glorified. That people will look at us and see our behavior and know why we're doing it. We're doing it to worship you. So Lord, as we just profess together, when we sing your name, we're worshiping you. When we pray to you, we're worshiping you. But when we give, we're also worshiping you. Lord, forgive us if we've ever gave with bad intentions, if we gave reluctantly. Lord, help us to have a new heart and a new spirit and understanding of being led by the Holy Spirit to generously give in faith because of the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to never forget the gospel. Help us to live it out each day. Jesus, we praise you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.